Welcome to Mental Health and You. This podcast brings you the best information and advice from across the Norfolk and Suffolk Foundation Trust. Every fortnight, we will hear from one of our specialist areas, be it school and parent support, the recovery college, well-being or research. Hello and welcome to the Psychology in Schools Teams podcast. Um, today we are going to be talking about teenage development um, in the context of all of those amazing changes that are happening in our teenagers' brains. Um, so my name is Dr Tamara Scully and I'm one of the clinical psychologists in the Psychology in Schools team. Um, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Dr. Beth Mosley, consultant clinical psychologist, also in the psychology and schools team. Um, and I'm really excited that we're joined today by Rachel and Zachary. Um, so a few weeks ago, or a few, uh, yeah, probably about a probably about a month ago now, we ran a workshop kind of exploring the teenage brain, and Rachel attended that workshop. And then she very kindly agreed to join us today on this podcast to kind of think about what she heard and what kind of stuck out for her about that workshop. Um, so, Rachel, would you just like to introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm Rachel. I'm mum to Zachary. Um, hello. I'm, hello, I'm Zachary. Um, I'm 12 and I'm from year, um, I'm just ending my year seven and um, and I'm hopefully going to have a good start to year eight. Great. Well, both of you are really welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I guess maybe a good place to start might be um, with you, Rachel, and just thinking a little bit about I guess maybe why you decided to come to the workshop um, and then maybe if you could tell us a little bit about the things that you kind of valued about that workshop. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think my decision to attend was mainly because I think, you know, the last year we've had um, with lockdown and everything that's that's gone on, I was struggling as, as a parent to, um, I suppose, not as much connect, but communicate with Zachary who you know at the time was was just 11 but I kind of felt these teenage years were looming um, and I was kind of thinking I just need to read and to listen and to attend anything I can to help and support me um, to do that you know I've, I've felt kind of I know from a lot of friends we all feel that we're very much on our own um, in this and everybody's got their own you know kind of experience but it does feel sometimes that you kind of you know is there something wrong with him is there something with, wrong with my parenting you know how can I manage this going forward because knowing about all the things that you know you see um, that says oh you know hormones are raging and all this you know how am I get, if I can't manage now how am I going to get to him and you know basically keep him alive when he's 21 22 and all those kind of things so yeah very scary time so that was kind of my driving force um but kind of you know behind signing up okay. but um I, I think the the benefit I got from it was actually knowing that I wasn't alone um hearing you know the the way the, the workshop ran being so interactive I could hear other people you know also saying you know the struggles they were having so it really validated my feelings and made me feel that I'm not the failure that I thought I might mm -hmm. be mm -hmm. so that, yeah. this is normal. 
Um, and just being able to understand and learn that bit about the emotional brain and the reasons and understanding the reasons why this might be happening. I think they were the, the two key things for me. Yeah, and you know, it, it's really interesting because I, I think, as you say, I think lots of people can feel really isolated um, in, in their parenting and they can feel really quite isolated and kind of making sense of, of some of those changes that are happening. And I think, you know, we talk about like a lot of these changes in the context of kind of um, of adolescence. And I suppose we kind of think about adolescence starting kind of when our kids hit those teenage years. But I suppose and definitely for me with my my own children. So I have a little boy who's almost 10 and I can already feel him kind of moving away from me a little bit. And I can already feel his friends kind of beginning to take up a much more important space in his life. And, and you know, actually, it can feel a bit tricky as a parent to manage because you kind of go from cuddles on the sofa and then wanting to do kind of almost everything with you. Um, and it can feel like nearly overnight. It's kind of like, no, you don't need to walk me into school anymore. I'm absolutely fine. I'll do this on my own. Um, and yeah, that can for sure feel pretty tricky. And I'm just reflecting because I've got a 16 year old and um, a 12 going on 30 year old girl. Um, <laughs> and I think it's it's how you interpret the distance as the parent, isn't it? Like when my daughter's choosing to do things with her friends and wanting to do things on the, her own sometimes, I kind of have this pang of worry inside me about does am I losing that connection? Are they kind of not wanting to be with me anymore because there's something going on for them and and so I think there's a lot of questions you have as a parent isn't there about what the distance means mm -hmm. and you kind of lose the simplicity of the role of organizing their lives and <laughs> and sort of sorting things out for them and all of a sudden they I mean my daughter actually came down one day and said um I'm just going to wash my own clothes from now on I was like <laughs> now you know ideally that's brilliant but it also creates those problems with she's not going to sort the colors and things like that but it was just such a moment of wait a minute you're only 12 and and one of the things we talk about in the workshop is this kind of idea um of moving away from kind of organizing our young people and managing them towards coaching them and and doing things a bit more collaboratively rather than taking over that young person's life and I'm just thinking Zach you know you're probably used to your mom probably organizing your social life sorting <clears throat> things out for you making your pat lunch um <laughs> if mom moves a bit away from doing that what what do you think is helpful for you what would you prefer mom to be like as you're starting to get that sense of of being a bit more independent from mom um well I like her to be quite, um, like, to get how I would feel in, like, certain situations. And uh, to be honest, as, like, lockdown went on, she, you, I think you did get along with that a bit more because you, and especially coming in with the mindfulness stuff you're doing, mm. you sort of got what's going on in my brain. And when I'm angry, you sort of just think, oh, he's going to start kicking off now. And then, <laughs> and then, like um, in a few hours' time, when I've calmed down, she'll come and talk to me. So, um, I like I like you to sort of um, not really change in a way, but like sort of like still feel um, like she's like just still feel like how I'm feeling, 
Um, but like, I'd like you to not wait them three, two hours and just come up to me now and go, um, like, are you okay or something? And I've got like, as a teenager, of course, you're going to want all the attention. So you're going to ask to like, come. So for like you to come in like one hour, but like, yeah, it's true. Cause I want, I don't really want the attention, but I want someone to check if I'm all right every like 10 minutes, really. <laughs> and it's so interesting isn't it because often it feels like we're being pushed away and we need to kind of give you some space to calm down but really Zach what you're saying is okay I'm like angry and I'm acting like I don't want you there but actually I kind of really still need you there a bit yeah, but exactly. I need you to understand how I'm feeling and empathize with me not be on my back or kind of getting cross with me back does that kind of make sense yeah it does make a lot of sense that. So how can parents be a bit braver about when they come alongside their young people when they're feeling distressed? Because I think it's a bit, it might sound a bit strange of a thing to say, Zach, but it can be a feel a bit scary as a parent when your young person's really upset, really angry. And, you know, some parents listening to this might have 16 year old sons who are six foot one. That's what I've got. And he doesn't get angry very often. But if he does, it's actually quite scary for me as a mom. I kind of don't quite know what to do. Um, and so this is really helpful for us to hear that even if it feels scary, there's something about being brave, but getting our body language right. Can you tell when your mom's coming in and she really wants to be alongside you and she wants to kind of understand you? How how do you know that your mom's in that kind of frame of mind compared to being cross with you? So uh, it's sort of when like um, if she's like angry, I can tell or like worried in a way because. You, you can hear her like um, coming up the stairs and, and um, being having the, the voice of being like quite angry but when she's like quite calm she's you can sort of like I can hear like not really that much shouting and then when she comes in she has like a soft voice not very rough and things and um, she wants to check up on me and she wants to know if I'm okay and things. And one of the things when you're talking Zach one of the things that I'm a little bit interested in is is it do you find it a little bit easier to kind of calm down and calm your body down when your mum comes and she kind of uses a softer voice and she's less cross yeah I think so because it just like once you um like you, you're getting angry and things like there's a connection which sort of feels like you're falling apart but then when you like come together it feels a lot more like warmer and things and it feels a lot better I think. Oh do you know that's a really nice description because you know the thing that you're you're describing I think kind of fits with this thing that we know about teenagers and that's the part that well it's to do with our brain I guess and you know we know that the part of our brain that helps us do all of that awesome thinking and planning and decision making that there's lots and lots of changes happening in that part of our brain mm -hmm. um, when we become a teenager so actually it's very easy to kind of get a bit overwhelmed by frustration or anger mm -hmm. um, and actually, by your mum kind of coming up and, and talking to you kind of in a, in a gentle voice and trying to understand what it's like for you, 
that really helps you to get that kind of thinking part of your brain working again. Yeah. So I think that's a brilliant example of that. Mm -hmm. And and I'm curious, Mum, how do you manage that? Because there's going to be lots of parents on this podcast who are thinking, I want to do that so badly, but I, I'm feeling so stressed or I'm feeling so crossed or I'm feeling so worried that I find it really hard. What what's What helps you kind of go up the stairs gently and use the soft voice and have the different body language? I mean, I hold my hands up. I don't get it right every time. And there are days if I've had a day, a long day at work or I'm not feeling 100 percent or, you know, things have not gone right for me that I do go in with the wrong approach. And I hold my hands up and say, I know it. Um, so I do kind of. But generally, after that's happened, I do then kind of sit and think about it and think, right, I need to change my tact. You know, this is not going to work. There's no point in me trying to almost like get in the boxing ring with him because all it does is just make things 10 times worse. Um, so I do a lot of deep breathing um, and kind of almost trying to reset myself. And, and like when he was saying, you know, I leave it possibly, you know, as he was saying, I leave it too long sometimes because I find I need to. It's having that balance, isn't it, of trying to kind mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. work out when I should go in there and open the door and have that discomfort. Or is he too angry? I'm going to walk away again. So it's kind of a learning experience for me as well as to when to pitch that kind of, you know, that kind of soft, calm voice without getting that rah that I get, you know, sometimes when he flips his lid, which has only been happening for the last, what, couple of years, hasn't it? It's almost yeah. like that frustration of, you know, that change between primary school and secondary school has really kind of, you know, he's gone, you know, as you said, you know, 12 to 30, you know, he's he's in that frame of mind where he wants to be so independent and so yet he does need me there and it's about me you know I struggle sometimes I really do but I, I do take a lot of deep breaths and have to think right I need to reset now I'll go in with a different calmer approach and sometimes it takes longer than, it, <laughs> than others. And Zach how we talk about this quite a lot we talked about this in our workshop on resilience about kind of when things go wrong in our relationships particularly with our other family members like our parents or our children about the kind of the, the importance of repairing that and it sounds like what mom's saying is sometimes she she kind of gets it wrong we all do as parents 100% and and it sounds like she can say sorry when she gets it wrong how does that feel for you when mom says sorry um it feels um a lot better because like um it just it sort of in a way just like calms me calms me a bit me a bit down again like so if she comes in with like and i'm quite angry um like and then she says sorry i'll like calm down a notch and think that she's actually saying sorry because like she thinks about how i'm feeling and she like she cares about how i'm feeling mm -hmm. so saying sorry makes you more convinced that your mum cares and i think sometimes as adults we kind of lose <laughs> that we forget that don't we because we get sort of stuck in with who's right or wrong um oh that's so helpful Zach it, it it really massively is and one of the things that the research shows that when we're talking with our, with our adolescent young people it's so important to treat them with a lot of respect to talk to them in a respectful voice um and to, tr to kind of have those conversations as if we absolutely care so much about what our adolescents viewpoint is 
um, and that we're really keen to listen. And I think sometimes it can be difficult to put your feelings into words, Zach. So yeah. I'm guessing that as adults, we're quite quick at jumping in <laughs> and kind of saying what we think is wrong and not giving as much space as we maybe could to let you sit with that silence for a little bit and then find your own words to describe yeah. it. Does does that sound does that sound familiar? Yeah, that does, especially when um like mum said, when she has a like a long day at work and I have a long day at school. Um, like that really just doesn't really go together and like um um especially when um during lock the like the January lockdown, um when I like I just like burst and got really angry and things. Mm. Uh, it was because I stayed online all day and um I just didn't really get time to switch off and um it would just it like it would sh struggle because like I would personally struggle because I'd get no time to switch off and yeah, it was really hard. And and I think Zach, one of the things that you were saying when we were just having a bit of a chat before we came before we came on to this was, you know, how, you know, you really, really miss doing sports, for example. Yeah. And you were saying that that's one of the things that like really helps you to kind of manage some of that frustration yeah. or if you're worried about something. Yeah. And um, just like football is one of my main hobbies and I play it every weekend. I do training every Tuesday and I just do I love it to bits and I oh that's all my friends talk about me and my mates we just like especially with um like just hanging around all oh, that's mostly all we talk about is that like how did you get on the, this weekend and things and it to be honest like it come it's got like a really soft spot in my heart like sports and things because I just I, I love it and it's really hard when I miss out on it and like in the lockdowns I missed out a lot on it so yeah yeah that must be really hard and you know it's funny because Beth and I did a workshop last night and we were talking a little bit about kind of resilience in young people and one of the things we talked about is this idea of flow where you get so immersed in an activity that you kind of forget about time you don't think yeah. about anything else and when you and we know that that's really good for our well-being and it sounds like when you're describing your football that mm. that's probably one of those flow activities for yeah. you yeah, and exactly. and yeah and you know what it's a really good one to have because it's also it's also really physical, isn't it? You're really physically moving your body. And, mm. you know, what we know from the research is that when we have time in the day where we can physically move our body, it allows us to kind of get rid of some of those stress hormones that kind of course around our body if we've had a tricky day. Um, so it's it's a really helpful um, activity to have as a teenager, I think. Mm. And it sounds like friends are pretty important. Yeah. So I'm curious, Zach, how, I mean, obviously during lockdown, it sounds like you'd have, like most young people, had to do a lot of more online connecting with your friends. But since coming back to school and having a bit more freedom, do things get tense sometimes at home because you kind of want to be with your friends or you want to do with friends and parents might be saying, come on now, da 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 dum. What what are there times when it gets a bit tricky to between choosing between friends and family? 
Yeah, exactly. Um, like when my mates go out um, round like town and things, um, and they go around each other's. It's hard because I want to do that, but and then there's another side to it where I don't want to like let my mum down or my family down in the same time because there there's for example let's say where we have like a family outing at some point. Um, and somebody offers like going round and things. That's a tough decision because I I'd love to go out, but I love I don't want to like lose my family and I don't like to let them down in the same way. So I'm curious in that scenario where you've got to choose between day out with the family or day out with the friends. How do you let? How do you? How does your mom or parents know that you're in conflict about that? What would they see? Would they see all this underground thinking? Oh, oh I kind of want to be a mom and dad, but I kind of also want to be with my friends. What, or do they see something else? No, I think I think they do see that that um, that I've got two like two like parts I want to go at, and I think they do know that I love to hang out with my mates and that I love to go out with my family and things and like especially on like the weekends is the time where I don't have to be at school I can relax and things and I like to use that time as going out with my mates and things um but I think yeah I think you I think we're getting that. better aren't we yeah and I think that for for me is is that process you said about letting go and being able to understand that actually friends do have and hold that place right now are, are really important um, and I think as a mum, you know, especially as he's my eldest, you know, I'm, you know, I'm learning for the first time what it's like to have, you know, a, a preteen um, and everything that comes with that. And I think majority of the problem is is my ability as a mum to let go. I want to keep him safe. I want to keep him, you know, where I know where he is and all that. But I think I'm getting better. Yeah, I think, I think you are we're, because... we're, we're finding the balance. And... But. especially during like this year where I've got more independence from just like being the age of 12 and moving up to secondary school and things where you can now like trust me to go out in in town and go around my mates and walk home to someone's house from school and yeah it feels I think yeah you're getting a lot better at it but I still have sleepless nights over it. <laughs> and I guess it's it's not helped by the kind of the, all the kind of narrative around teenagers with risky behaviour and when they're with friends, they might kind of do things which they might not have done on their own. I guess that for parents, that's in the back of your mind. And I guess it's in a bit for, for you as an adolescent, there's some expectations about what I should be doing with my mates when I'm a certain age and I don't know tomorrow if you would to med talk about kind of risk really at all because it is something that we talk a lot about with young people isn't it and raises quite a lot of anxiety yeah and I that it's just exactly actually what I was thinking about um when Rachel and Zach were talking because I guess one of the things we kind of know about the adolescent brain is that there's this really big drive towards novelty and you know in some respects this is brilliant because it kind of it's what drives young people to kind of try new things to meet new people um 
but I guess what we also know because of all of those changes that are kind of happening in the brain is that those risks can will be driven kind of by those big emotions and because the upstairs brain is under construction, sometimes it's really hard for teenagers to kind of pause and think about what the potential consequences might be. And I think it, it's just a real challenge, I think, for parents and young people, actually, because the young people are kind of wanting to go out and do new things and do all of this exploring. But as a parent, we're kind of very aware that they might not take that moment to pause and think about the consequences. So then we it's very hard, actually, to take a step back and allow them to do that um, because we worry about kind of them them being safe. And I, and I suppose it's ultimately all of that, I think, kind of comes back to that respectful relationship and keeping those channels of communication open so that you have that opportunity to kind of sit down when they're at home and they're kind of in a calm place and think about well what do you think might have happened if you did if you had gone and done this on Saturday or whatever it is um but it's it's certainly something that that's tricky I, I would imagine for a lot of families to manage and I think the other thing that we kind of know is that even if the consequences, say, for example, you you kind of decide you're going to a party and, and you know you're going to get into trouble with it, because it's more important that you are going to the party with your friends, you're willing to take the hit onto getting into trouble. That's the other thing. So even if, we're, if young people are not so good or, or come up with all the consequences, they still may make that choice. You know what? Yeah. I'll, I'll be yeah. grounded for a week. I am not missing that party. And I guess that's where we kind of this idea of doing things more collaboratively, having these discussions, enables young people to learn about managing risk better. Um, and I guess if you feel like your parents are going to be a bit more understanding, you're more likely to have those tricky conversations where you're trying to make decisions about those dilemmas. And one of the things that we kind of talk about is compromise. And if you're coming to have a tricky conversation, so say, Zach, you really want to go to this party and it finishes at midnight and the parents, you know, you're not quite sure. Mom doesn't know the other parents. If you kind of know that mom and dad are going to absolutely say no no way in heaven or hell you could make up a nice story about going around another mate's house and go to the party because you know your parents aren't going to talk about it at all I did it when I was younger all <laughs> of the time because my parents were uber strict um, so I found ways around it um, but in a way that was more risky than me saying I'm in this dilemma and I need your help I really want to be at this party with my friends okay you don't know the parents okay you know it might get a bit crazy if you can have those kind of conversations with your parents and your parents can hold on to their own panic and worry then maybe you can come up with a compromise okay well I'm going to drop you at eight o'clock and I'm going to pick you up at 11 o'clock and you need to keep your phone on and that's the deal and then there's something about you kind of you you know what the risks are you and and you're able to kind of collaborate together as a mini kind of adult with another adult because if if your parents were making that plan together they'd do more of that collaborative talking wouldn't they well might maybe not but mum would say absolutely no way you're not doing that you, you your parents would probably have a conversation together wouldn't they so it's kind of trying to model that more adult style thinking together but acknowledging what young people are struggling with with making their decisions 
Does that kind of make sense? Have you ever had managed to do that, Zach and Rachel, with something that Zach's really wanted to do and and you've kind of come together and made a bit of a shared plan where you've both had to make um, a Okay, so we've had kind of this, you know, he's starting to want to be more dependent, you know, independent and kind of get out there and do stuff. And we obviously live in a village outside of town. So actually for us, when we want to take him anywhere, it's kind of by car, we have to drop him off. So he hasn't got some of the depend, you know, the, the independence that some of his friends would necessarily have. So it started to get kind of a little bit of an issue. Um, and what we found is that um, he wanted to get off the bus at a different location and cross one of the busiest roads I feel in Suffolk <laughs> to go to the post office. Um, which he did, unbeknown to me. He told me that the bus was late um, and he crossed this road. And then he came home. He came home unscathed, didn't say anything about it. But all week he'd been dropping hints as to the fact that, you know, that something had happened. And I was a bit suspicious because I'm a bit like the FBI. Um, <laughs> and the, then we had this fallout over something to which he basically said, um, you know, he'd been to the post office and he would bought me some chocolates for Mother's Day. But I probably wouldn't want it because, um, you know, basically, you know, I don't care, blah, blah, blah. So it, it kind of went like that. <laughs> so we've had this constant debate that actually I'd rather prefer. I don't mind him getting off the bus at that stop but please don't cross that road to go to the shop on any reason because actually it's a crossroads and you can't tell where the traffic's coming from however if you want to go to a shop please come home get your bike there's a shop at the other end of the village which you can then cross the road on the pedestrian crossing and you can go right down to the end and you can spend your money there so we've we've had to kind of compromise to that kind of thing haven't we yeah you know he still tried the um and he still got off at the bus the stop before um to kind of bend the rules a little bit but unfortunately for him i'd actually gone on find my phone and realized that he wasn't where he should be um so his little uh, scheme didn't work um but as you said you know i'm very aware of the you know that you know there's no good me tracking him to places because he'll leave his phone behind there's no good me saying he can't do so because he will find a way around it so I think as a parent, I really need to be um, more to the point of actually, yeah, that compromise. Whereas, you know, my mum would have probably said, why are you letting him, you know, win? You know, actually, it's not about winning or losing anymore. It's about making sure that he's aware of, of you know, what his restrictions are, but also how to keep safe and that I can, I can compromise. Um, and it can work out for both of us, but I can't be sat at home just worrying that he's not going to make it off the bus or he's not going to, you know, turn up to where he should be. So, yeah, we try, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think it's there is something about kind of recognising that this novelty seeking or taking risks is kind of part of the package. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it, whether we want our kids to do it or not, they're going to do it. Like with your example, Beth, you know, if your parents can put a boundary in, but, you know, if a kid really wants to do something, they normally will kind of find a way. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I think that's just really important to kind of recognize around this risk stuff is, you know, ultimately you have to take risks to get out of the house and you know if you have a child who is completely risk averse you know they are ultimately going to have a really hard time leaving home 
And this is, you know, this is what all of this is about. This is what all of this transition into adolescence is about. It's about getting our children ready to be able to fly the nest, to be able to live independently eventually. Um, and I think, you know, during the pandemic, I think when, you know, Zach, you were saying you kind of lost all your capacity to kind of be out meeting your friends, doing your thing. And, and, and you know, what happens when we block our teenagers from doing any of that is that it just manifests in quite a low mood because really they are programmed to be doing this stuff and it's for a really good reason. Now, I know that doesn't make it any easier for us as parents, mm -hmm. but I guess if you can hold on to that understanding, it just makes it easy to easier to be, I suppose, a little bit compassionate about why they kind of keep mm -hmm. pushing you and pushing you to let them do things. And I guess it's important to say that it's not that we're saying you should never say no anymore or you should stop reinforcing your enforcing your family rules. I guess it's about kind of sort of saying you're going to start handing the reins over to your child a bit more and you're going to be involving them more in creating the family rules because what we know about families as they develop and change over time and when we see families in our clinic sometimes it's because people have kind of got stuck in a stage of their family and they've not all moved on together mm -hmm. and I suppose when we think about it as parents we're going to have to adapt to our children's needs as they start growing and our family rules might have to adapt um, so yeah I think because some parents might say well does that mean I just let my child do anything they want absolutely not boundaries are still really important but it's about kind of becoming more collaborative involving our young people more which is a really nice point to bring in you know adolescents bring so much great stuff to families they keep things happy alive they can be the other way they can also bring the temperature up on other things but I'm just thinking you know Bob Zach what are some of the things that you really love about this new phase of Zach's kind of development, how it's changed the family dynamic? What would you say? I think for me, it's taken on a new, you know, his sense of humour, his, his ability to be able to kind of, you know, kind of get some of the stuff that as a child, you know, that he wouldn't, that actually we can share a joke that possibly his brother doesn't get. Um, and by him being able to go out and kind of, socialize with other people and other kids his age and he'll come back and tell me stories and he's got his own stories to tell it's not just based on you know what we've done as a family and and you know it's lovely to kind of you know when I get some you know very rarely as parents do we get feedback but you know he took on guitar during um, lockdown and I got him some lessons at school and literally the first lesson I got an email back from the guitar teacher saying what a lovely lad and you know that makes me stop and think well actually yeah you know we do disagree on things we will end up in fights but actually we've got a relationship where actually it's not bad all the time is it mm. we you know we do push each other's buttons <laughs> and I can hold my hands up to that but it's nice that we will sit down and watch things together and and, you know, it's, it has taken on a new level. And he will come over and give me a hug and say, oh, I love you, mum. You know, even though he'd probably say that's really embarrassing. Don't share that with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's nice that, you know, when you think, oh, well, maybe I'm not doing such a bad job, you know. Mm. The one thing that I like about it is just being as independent as 
like it. I like being very independent and going out with my mates and like and the one thing that I've really noticed is which I haven't really had the privilege to do is when um when I can go out to shops and mum can go oh you can just pop in that one and go and find something and and then she and just come and find me back here and that that is one thing that just makes you feel like a bit more grown up than normal. That's such a good point and lots of young people I have worked with um, or I know have said they really love these little things that they do on their own like going to the getting their haircut on their own for the first time or going and actually getting a this is these are slightly older 16 plus just going down having the confidence to go to Costa Coffee and get getting a coffee on their own and really feeling like I'm making a contribution to my family here, possibly with, you know, getting your mum a box of chocolates off your own back um, or being able to get something for mum, as well as just feeling like, oh, this is me practising what it's going to be like to be an adult. Um, and And I'm just thinking about my son who's 16 and he's just finished his year 11 and he's getting a job. And I'm just loving the fact that in this new job he's got, he's bringing so many of the little values that I've got as, and I've kind of imposed a little bit on my children, but now they're coming back as values he's internalised and he wants to do. And those conversations, it suddenly feels like this isn't about me as the parent anymore saying, you know, this is the way we do it. It's about him coming back and saying, you know, what, I think this works really well. I really like doing the way we do this. Or And, and I just think there there is something really satisfying about that as a parent, because you've kind of handed the reins over and they've taken away some of the stuff that, that you thought was important. And that makes it feel like it's you're doing a good job. You've done your job. You're doing your job as a parent because it's a tough job. It takes a lot of years to get the rewards, doesn't it? So those are lovely examples of, of you know, the, the good stuff, really. And I think it keeps it keeps you young, doesn't it? If if you can go with the flow, I mean, sometimes the adult humour my 12 year old daughter has distresses me because she's just too knowledgeable and too on it with having that kind of mind of of seeing things that even I don't see as an adult. (laughs) But I kind of have to let it go because otherwise I'm just going to end up being a constant bore and nag. And it's a really tricky one, isn't it, when they know so much stuff and they use this language and they've got these jokes and you're like how do you know this stuff you're 12 and and it's really difficult to get the balance isn't it of enjoying what they're bringing but also kind of going surely that's not right (laughs) and I you know I suppose what it's making me think a little bit about is you know you know what we know is that you know as you go into adolescence you're able to think in much more complex ways and I think you're able to kind of start questioning the world and you're you kind of begin to recognize that actually your parents are just very normal very fallible human beings and you kind of knock them off the pedestal that you might have had them on for a little while Um, But I suppose for some teenagers, I think that can probably be a little bit tricky because suddenly you're kind of thinking about the world in a different way. You're able to start questioning things that you were just kind of taking for granted for so long. And, you know, I I think for, for some teenagers, I guess it can kind of lead to a little bit of a crisis of identity and kind of figuring out where they fit and where their place is. 
Um, so I guess it's just also just holding that in mind as uh, as the kind of the flip side of of some of that amazing thinking um, that our adolescents are able to do. And it's a much more complex world, you know, just yeah. thinking about yeah. gender identity. You know, my daughter's always talking about people who are, have got different genders and, and they're thinking about their sexuality at 12, you know, on different levels that it's really difficult to have those conversations. And and thank yeah. my daughter's the kind of daughter that just says it. So in some ways, we just end up having those conversations, whether I want it or not. Um, and I think that's really tricky for parents, isn't it? And I guess thinking about what Zach said earlier and what we kind of know about connection is that being available for your young people, kind of holding in your own feelings and your own fears as a parent when your young people start talking about some of the things they might be struggling with or questions they might have so that you can do a lot of listening and kind of guiding really rather than solving the problem and telling what to do I think that's probably one of the most important things the, the important changes you can make as a parent as you go into kind of being that parent for your adolescent if that makes sense and it sounds like that's one of the shifts in your relationship Zach and Rachel and you can kind of I can see you guys nodding and I think that can really help but it can be really hard and it kind of takes practice and taking a few risks if you're in a if you're in a relationship with your adolescent and you've not managed to to crack that yet um so I guess it's and I, and I think I met with a young person who did a podcast with me he was 18 and he and he said just don't give up you know even if I've slammed my bedroom door even if I'm in the foulest mood in the world don't give up I still really do want you to be there for me in the background I still do need that help but so don't give up on me <laughs> and I just thought that was a really lovely message because as parents we don't want to give up but sometimes we feel that might be the only option because we can't find a way in and I guess it's just about being available and holding on to our own stuff so that we're we're not judging our children or they're not feeling judged or criticised by us, I guess. And I think we need to end it there because tonight England are playing football <laughs> and the game has just started. And I know you're a great football fan, Zach. So thank you, Zach and Rachel, so much for today. And let's hope England win. <laughs> thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. Please do subscribe. It's free and means the podcast will automatically download every fortnight. Do rate and review our podcast and follow our social media accounts. They're all in the show notes. And more than anything, look after yourself.